Good morning. Uh, so glad you decided to be with us this morning. My name is Matt Briggs. I'm the family pastor here at Grace City. If uh, we hadn't had a chance to meet yet, uh, I'm so glad that you're here and so excited for this opportunity to get to share uh, with you guys this morning. And uh, I was telling some of the folks in the first service that, like, do you ever have one of those times when you're just glad you can be with God's people? Like, you're just glad you can be at church. You're just glad you can uh, be here and be in a place where nobody's perfect and be in a place where there is grace, be in a place where you can, you know, let your hair down, a place where you can, no, not even a giggle. I got a giggle. There, there were eight people here at nine o'clock and I got a giggle. Um, a place where you can be yourself and a place where you can uh, know that you're going to be loved. And so I'm grateful to be a part of this church family this morning and, and I hope you are too. And if it's your first time this morning, we're, we're grateful that you're here. Come be a part of our family. Walk with us as we pursue Christ this morning. Uh, we're going to be in Mark 10. And uh, so if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and start turning there. You have your phone, your Bible. Um, but before we get into that, I just wanted to say a quick uh, thank you to Stevie and the student ministry. They just got back from a week. You heard a little bit earlier this morning, uh, a week over in Ridgecrest doing Fuge Camp. And I'm so proud of that week that they had over there. Um, the students that went had a great, great week, drawn closer to the Lord and closer to one another. And uh, don't take the student ministry for granted. I'm asking you now as a church to get behind the student ministry, get on the ground floor with them, pray with them, encourage them, love on them and that team. Uh, it's gonna be cool in a few years to look back and say, I can't believe this is where we came from and where we're gonna be going. And so get behind that while you can. It's gonna be a good bandwagon to be on. All right, so we're gonna be in Mark chapter 10. Uh, we're gonna begin in verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them and blessed them. So we see here, Jesus had a very strong opinion about children. Jesus had very strong emotions tied to children. You know, this everywhere Jesus went, he drew a crowd. Uh, then this was no exception this time. And kids were all over. And you know, you ever seen somebody that gets swarmed with kids? And so like I, I can picture Jesus getting swarmed with kids and his disciples are like, get off, get off, get off. And Jesus looks at them and he is indignant. That's a strong word. Jesus is indignant. And he says, anyone who does not enter the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it. And I think what he's trying to say there is, who who does not enter the kingdom of God with a soft heart, he who does not enter the kingdom of God with an expectant heart will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, one of the coolest things about kids, well, there's a lot of cool things about kids, but they live on a totally different planet than we do, right? Um, I took my uh, my son to the store the other day and he ran into another kid he's met once. They played in the aisle for 30 minutes, right? I see somebody at Walmart I don't want to talk to and I just kind of turn the other way. You know, you, you've all done that, right? Um, and so like, kids just live on a totally different planet and they have these soft, humble, expectant hearts. And I think that's what Jesus is talking about here. Um, and that, that expectant heart um, is something that doesn't doubt their father, that doesn't doubt 
their parents. Um, you know, when you're a kid, you don't really doubt that your dad can do anything. It, logic doesn't really matter. You know, when you're a kid, you think your dad or you think your mom is a superhero and you think they can do anything. So funny story. This happened yesterday, so it worked out great. So um, my son spent the night at Marley's parents' house, at my in-law's house, and on the way home, he says, Dad, I want carrot soup. So, okay, I don't know what carrot soup is. Um, I didn't know if there's a such thing as carrot soup. You know, it's not, it's not something you ever go, oh, the soup of the day is carrot soup. Mmm, that sounds good. I'll have that. Like, no one ever does that, right? And so I'm like, okay, when we get home, we'll get you some carrot soup. Those of you that are parents know what I was hoping for. What was I hoping for? That he would forget. Yes, I was hoping that he would forget because I don't know how to, I mean, I don't, carrot soup doesn't make, maybe doesn't exist, so I don't know how to make it. And, uh, and so we get home and um, he's exhausted. So I think I'm probably going to get out of this one. And he goes and he sits in his bed and he looks up at me and he's got the spoon. He stole a measuring spoon from my mother-in-law and he, he's holding the spoon and he says, I want some carrot soup. <laughs> Okay, we're going to have to figure out how to make carrot soup. Um, you know, I'm not the one that cooks in our house. You know, like I, I can make eggs. I can do the typical dad kind of stuff. But like I'm not the one who cooks. And so for Merrick to expect me to be able to cook anything is really just defies logic. And so, so I go to the cabinet. And, and at Kroger, they have these, um, you may have seen them. They're these little plastic containers with a clear pop top and they've got uh, different vegetables in them, green beans, carrots, peas, you know, whatever you could possibly want. And inside those, they are, it's carrots and water. Okay. So I say, Merritt, do you want your carrot soup hot or do you want it cold? And he's very opinionated. He has very strong opinions about things. And he says, I want it cold. Okay. And so, um, so I take the, the, the pop top off the thing and I just dumped this carrots and water into a bowl and I deliver it to his room and, uh, and I'm like, here, here's your carrot soup. And I'm, and I'm looking at, it's like prison food, right? I'm, I'm looking at him and, and I'm like, he's going to, I'm a fraud here. Like he's going to, ca- like he's going to know, he's going to know that this is not, this is not real. And so like he takes his little stolen measuring spoon and, and he starts eating and he eats a little bite of carrot. And I say, bud, how is your carrot soup? And he said, he's closed his eyes and shook his head and said, it is so good. <laughs> and, and in that moment, I knew I had pulled one over on him, right? Um, and so like he had this sweet expectation that I would be able to make him carrot soup despite all logic. And, and that's the, what Jesus is talking about here, I believe. He's talking about like an expectancy that defies logic, where we know that our God is a good God. Like we know that our God will provide for us. We know that our God desires to bless us. We see Jesus here bless the children. You know, I believe that's what God is calling us to here, is calling us to that heart of childlike expectancy and childlike humility and childlike softness, really. You know, we live in a cynical world. You know, it's really like hard to find that soft core of our hearts sometimes. But um, that's what Jesus is talking about here. Kids, when they're little, know without wavering, or they should anyway, that their parents only desire what's best for them. And we should know that too. How much more does our heavenly father desire good things for his children, for us, his children? 
And so to me, like the, this first part of this story is going to be in direct contrast to the next thing that happens in our passage of Scripture today, but I do believe they're tied together. So just hang with me here um, as we keep reading. We're going to be um, in verse 17 through 22. We'll pick back up. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Again, this is not an uncommon thing to happen to you. It'd be weird if this happened to you, but not an uncommon thing to happen to Jesus. Good teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus says, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. He asked Jesus about eternal life and he calls Jesus a good teacher. Um, You know, it was pretty common in this day for rabbis and teachers to be public figures. And so um, this guy had seen Jesus. He'd heard about Jesus. He knew he was a traveling rabbi. Um, I don't know what else he knew about him, but he runs up to him and says, teacher, teacher, good teacher, what can I do to inherit eternal life? Before answering his question, Jesus immediately clears up something. Uh, He lets the guy know who he really is when he says, no one is good except God alone. I really think this is a tongue-in-cheek thing here, right? Because he's telling them, like, no one is good but God but he is God. You know, if you're watching this in a movie, you would know exactly what Jesus was trying to portray to this man that had come up to him. He is more than a good teacher. And that's what he's letting him know. He is so much more than a good teacher. He is so much more than that then. He, he is so much more than that now. Um, don't let anybody ever tell you any different. Don't ever believe any different. Don't ever believe or live any differently. Sometimes we act like Jesus has all these good precepts we should follow, but really like, do I want to give him my heart? Like he's not just a good teacher. He wants your heart. Let's keep reading. Verse 19, you know the commandments. Jesus is telling him, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, All these I have kept since I was a boy. So Jesus runs down several really popular commandments here, things that you would all know probably by heart if I quizzed you on them. You know, don't murder anybody. Don't commit adultery. Don't lie. Don't defraud your friends. You know, he goes through this whole list of things, and um, and he's posing these things to the guy, to the man. And, uh, you know, anytime Jesus does something like this in the Scripture, like, he already knows the guy's heart, right? Like, we know that. You know, we have the benefit of knowing who Jesus is. And so, Jesus knows the guy's heart. So, when Jesus poses these things to the man, Jesus knows where the guy's heart is. Jesus knows how he's going to reply. But the reason this is here for us and the reason it's in the Scripture and the reason he says it out loud, kind of like what David talked about last week with Abraham, is it's for our benefit. It's for us to see how he responds, for us to see how to live. And so I think anytime Jesus does something like this, it's a call for us to pay attention. Anytime Jesus asks a question or poses a thought like this, it's time for our ears to perk up and say, what is Jesus trying to teach us here? And so Jesus runs through these commandments with him, and he says, I've kept them since I was a boy. This guy had kept all the rules his whole life. He was the best of the best as far as checking boxes could go. And, and I think it's clever the way the words tie in here. He says, I've kept the commandments since I was 
a boy. You know, remember we walked out of this passage just a minute ago about Jesus playing with children and Jesus talking about the heart of a child and what that means in the kingdom of God. And so I think this passage is here in this place for this reason, to point back to that heart. But just stay with me on that thought. When you think about kids and you think about this guy and you think about checking boxes and you think about what matters, you know, this guy had said, you know what, Jesus, I know, thank you for running down all those commandments. I've kept them since I was a boy. And, you know, it says, and he was excited, right? You know, in that moment, he had to be excited to be able to tell Jesus that, yes, I've been able to do all these things. He wasn't like sheepish about it. Like when Jesus started naming those things, you know, in his head and in his prideful heart, he says, oh yeah, I've never done that. I've never done that. I've never done that. And so like, but the way Jesus looks at us is a totally different thing. You know, Jesus doesn't want us to check boxes. Jesus wants our heart. You know, when you have a kid and they, they walk up to you and they just give you an unsolicited hug or an unsolicited, I love you, that's the best. You want your kid's heart. You don't want them to follow the rules. I mean, you obviously, at some level, those things come, but you would hope that they come out of a love and respect for you. And so that's what I feel like Jesus is trying to share with this guy here as we move forward, that it's not about checking these boxes. Like you can see the setup coming. If you know anything about the ministry of Jesus, um, you know that the setup is coming. Listen to the rest of this conversation. Verse 21 Jesus looked at the man and he loved him. And so, uh, spoiler, in case you were wondering, uh, this guy had not really kept all the commandments, right? Uh, We have the benefit of Scripture and we have the benefit of just being humans that live imperfectly in this world. Like, we know he didn't keep all the commandments. We know he didn't do all those things perfectly. That We know that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Like, we all know that. And Jesus knows that, of course, And so Jesus, who had kept all those things, looks at the man, and instead of saying, hey, man, hold up, like, you have not done this. Like, Jesus doesn't rush to correct him. Jesus doesn't rush to say, man, you say you kept all these things, but remember that time you did this, and remember that time you did that, and remember that time you did that, and this is all the ways you're wrong. That's not the way Jesus operates, Don't let anybody ever tell you that. That's not the way Jesus operates. He doesn't operate out of a heart of condemnation. He operates out of a heart of love. It says he looks at the man and he loved him. We have so much to learn. Um, When we disagree with somebody, we should disagree with love. You know, I think about the world we live in, the the world of social media outrage and self-righteousness. And, you know, um, we're always quick or people are always quick to jump on people that they disagree with. How much more do we have to learn rather than to correct somebody when they're wrong? We should just love them with the heart that Jesus did, right? Like it doesn't matter who's right. It doesn't matter who's wrong. Like Jesus knew this guy was wrong in this moment, but he didn't take that moment to do that. He took that moment in that guy's presence to love him. And and in his heart says he saw him and he loved him. The next time you disagree with somebody, don't correct them loved them. Let's keep reading. Instead of debating this, here's what Jesus says to him. One thing you lack, he's about to challenge his heart here. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad because 
He had great wealth. To me, this is one of the saddest moments in Jesus' earthly ministry. You know, this guy is directly in the presence of Jesus, the, that God made flesh, 100% God, 100% man. He's standing there in the presence of God, and he says, God, Jesus, teacher, what can I do? And Jesus says, I need you to sell all that you have and give to the poor and then come and follow me. And he walks away sad because he had great wealth. I can't imagine how the disciples feel in this moment. You know, um, they're watching all this unfold. They've just watched Jesus with the kids. They've watched Jesus with this rich guy. I can't imagine how they're feeling. You know, maybe they're sad too. You know, maybe their heart's in the right place. Maybe they're bewildered or maybe like, here's what I think is maybe like it's a little bit of like smug, like a little bit of pride. Like, you know, we have been living with this traveling rabbi with no place to call home. We have left our fishing nets, our tax collector jobs, whatever it is that brought us comfort. We've already left that to follow Jesus. And this guy wouldn't even do that. So there's like this mix of emotions there probably with the disciples. And as you know, with anytime you see the disciples in the scripture, you know that like almost everything that happens, they need it explained verbatim. You need to walk them. You ever see, heard somebody say, explain this to me like I'm four years old. Like, I feel like that's how Jesus has to do with the disciples sometimes. And uh, whether they say it out loud or not, please explain it to me like I'm four years old. And so here's what Jesus does here. He, he starts explaining to them this interactions that they have just seen and what just happened. Uh, Look at verse 23 through 25 of Mark 10. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. I want to be very clear here as we move forward that we are going to talk about about riches, but this morning, like we're really not talking about the cash you have in your bank account or the assets you have at home. We're talking about the the riches that you have in Christ. We're talking about the blessings that you have in Christ. So um, that's not a struggle I have. I'm not a wealthy man, but those of you that may be, um, this is not saying that you cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's not what we're talking about at all today. So don't don't zone out. Don't click out on that. Just stick with us here. Jesus says, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? And then again, he says the word children. He says, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? So to me, again, he's calling back to remember, what does the heart of a child look like in this? What does that humble, expectant heart look like in this? The contrast in the heart of this rich man and the heart of a child is on full display here. The Persians back in this time used this phrase um, to put an elephant through the eye of a needle to describe anything that was impossible. And so in Palestine, this was the camel through the eye of a needle was an adaptation of that expression that they used to express impossibility. You know, any task that they thought was impossible, they would use this idiom to explain. And so he's literally telling them that it's impossible for the rich to enter the kingdom of God on their own accord. Well, that's discouraging, Jesus, Um, because prior to this moment, religious teachers and maybe even 
to this day in some degree, like there's this tie of material wealth to God's blessing. Like we feel like, and they did especially in this time, that if someone was rich, they were being blessed by God. So Jesus is trampling this thing that they had probably held true in their heart a long, long time. So they ask him in verse 26, disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? To me, this has to be a selfish question, especially since we know the backstory, since they had left everything and followed Jesus. They're thinking, man, we've done this already. You know, we're not rich, you know, like, so what do we have to do to be saved? And then he clears it up a little bit in the following verse 27. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. You know, like I said a minute ago, this proclamation speaks directly to the rich, but really, aren't we all rich? Aren't we all blessed? Statistically speaking, if you're in this room, you're a blessed, blessed person. We have life and breath and good gifts from God that we have a choice of how to use. Our jobs, our kids, our talent, our money, our free time, our interests. How do we use those things? Do we hold those things tightly or do we use those things for the interest of the kingdom of God? Jesus is very clear here. Using those things for our interest and using those things for ourselves, whatever our riches may be, whatever God has blessed you with, materially or otherwise, whatever he has blessed you with, Jesus is very clear. If we hold those things too tightly, if we hold those things and won't give them to Jesus, if we selfishly use those things to, to accomplish our own purposes and desires, it's going to be impossible for us to be a part of the kingdom of God. He doesn't say it will be difficult. He doesn't say it will be almost impossible. He doesn't say it will be hard. He says it will be impossible. Only when we lay down our talents, our gifts, and our riches before God and give them to our Father, knowing that He's got our best interest at heart, can we be a part of God's kingdom. So based on all this, I'm sure at this point the disciples are thoroughly flustered. Uh, they have no idea what's going on. You know, they think they've done all that they needed to do. They thought rich people were blessed. Like everything that they're knowing, everything they've known has kind of been pushed to the side. And so as per usual, Peter decides to verbalize what's in everybody else's mind. And he says, in verse 28, he says, then Peter spoke up, we have left everything to follow you. We've already left everything, Jesus. I think this really shows a glimpse into their hearts in this moment. They had already physically left so many things behind. Was it not enough? Was it not enough? They expected they had already done enough. They had taken all of that for granted, that they had done enough, that they had checked enough boxes for the kingdom of God, that they had done what God had called them to do, done what Jesus had called them to do. They had marked their item off the to-do list. But then Jesus, again, takes that, that, this prideful heart that, that I think they have in this moment, and, he, and again, he doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't correct them. He shares them this challenge from the heart, and he shares them um, this truth from the heart. Listen to verses 29 through 31. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, 
and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Jesus lets them know that those who sacrifice for him out of a pure and humble heart will be rewarded. So he's validating that the sacrifices that they have made out of pure, sincere, humble hearts. The rewards in the kingdom of God will be for those who sacrifice for Jesus, but only with the attitude described at the end of verse 31, with a first shall be last and a last shall be first kind of attitude. This squelches this prideful statement without directly crushing Peter. And like this is a reminder that we all need is our actions do matter. Like that's not true at all. That to say our actions don't matter at all, that's not true. It matters what we do. It matters who we help. It matters what good things we do in the world around us. But only those actions that come out of a heart of humility or, or actions that contribute to the kingdom of God. Only things done out of a heart of a child, a first shall be last kind of heart. So what do we take from Jesus' conversation here? What can we take away from these two contrasting conversations um, that Jesus is having with, the, with the, the children, with the ruler, and with the disciples? What do we take away from this? I'm a good Baptist, so there's three things, okay? Three things. First of all, we have to come expectantly to Jesus like children. Remember, God's our Father who can do whatever we ask according to His will. So ask expectantly. First, for your heart to align with His, and then for your heart's desire, without caveat. Secondly, we've all been given so much. As long as you have breath in your lungs, God has a plan for your life. You've never gone too far. Lay down whatever riches, whatever they may be, whatever you've been holding on to too tightly, and give it for the use of God's kingdom. If we hold on to those things, if we choose to use the gifts God gives us, whatever they are for our own purposes, it's impossible for us to be a part of the kingdom of God. Finally, lay down your pride. Take up an attitude of humility. We have to know that every good and perfect gift we have comes from God. There's nothing we can do to earn it, nothing we can do to deserve it. We need to take up the the attitude and the mantle of Jesus here, this servitude, and let the chips fall where they may. God has it in control. We need to trust God like a child. He sees the whole picture. And guys, I've used the word impossible a lot this morning. I mean, a lot. That's probably like the bingo word this morning, right? Is how many times have I said the word impossible? But, but here's the good news. Here's the caveat to all of that is that there's Jesus There's Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus today, like you have the opportunity to do that today, you have the opportunity like the rich young ruler to come before Jesus. This is all a perfect picture of that. You have an opportunity to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, what can I do? And Jesus is saying to you this morning through his word, he's saying to you this morning, just lay it down, lay down whatever you're holding on to. Give me your life. Give me your heart. Come follow me. That's going to look different for a lot of people, but I, here's what I know that it looks like. I know that it, that it means for us to give up our own pursuits and chase His. And that's never going to be a decision you regret. You'll never regret giving your life and giving your heart to Jesus. Don't miss this moment to accept this gospel. Don't miss this moment. Like, when that, like I was saying earlier, when that guy walked away sad, that's one of the saddest moments to look at to me in Scripture because he encountered the presence of God and walked away. Don't let that be you this morning, church. Let's pray. God, we love you this morning. 
God, I thank you that, that you make a way for us when there was no way. God, I thank you that, that while we were still sinners, that you died for us. God, I, I pray that, that in these moments this morning, um, that we'd be convicted by your word, Father, to, to go back to that childlike heart. God, there's so much swirling around us. God, I pray that for each and every one of us that we find a way back to that soft, that humble, that expectant, that trusting heart of our Father this morning, God. And whether for some of us this is a, a reminder of that, to run back to the Father, for others this is the first time. And God, I pray for those that have never given you your life, their life this morning that they, they would do that this morning. They would give you your, their heart. They would give you their life and say, God, I, my riches I give to you. The things I've been holding on so tightly, I give to you. I pray we'd all be willing to do that this morning. God, I pray that we would live expectant lives for your kingdom and your blessing and your big picture. We ask this in Jesus' name.